Hola. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is Jonathan Michael, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson. How are you doing today, Marv? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing great here. How about you? Uh, we're under quarantine, but it's for the greater good, I'm told, so we'll keep it up. We're trying to keep you entertained here. Well, I'm sure all of you are bored at home. This is my favorite part of the week, so I'm very happy to be doing this with you. Want to mention to follow along with us on Twitter while you're bored at JM, as in Jonathan Michael, sports wrap up at Marv underscore wrap up. And also, it is a perfect time to join Audible, the presenter of our podcast. Go ahead and visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up, and you will get a great offer for our listeners. They are offering three free Audible books. That is one title of over 200,000 titles that they have in their library. Any book you can think of, it's pretty much there. And they're also giving you two free Audible originals. So you get a membership for a month. No obligation. What are you waiting for, folks? Get it started. You'll love it. I love it. I use it all the time. Let's get into our first quarter. As we talk Tom Brady to the Buccaneers. While many of you may have been surprised by the news on Tuesday that Tom Brady would be on the move and he would be on his way to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I was not surprised. I've been on this for at least six months now. I knew that Tom Brady was not returning to the New England Patriots. The writing was on the wall, and Marv was all over it. He called Tampa Bay over a month ago. He saw where he was going exactly. And I wrote an article on this. I want you guys to go check it out on Medium. I put it out, the medium.com that is. I will put it in the description of the podcast here in the notes. But the reason why I knew Tom Brady was leaving was the psychology of the situation. And that's what I broke down, but I want to come at it from a different angle. With the health crisis that we are in right now, the markets are going up and down and around and they're going crazy. And I can't help but see the market parallels and how they help explain why Tom Brady left New England. Bill Belichick is the Warren Buffett of the NFL. And while he didn't know exactly when the crash was coming, he didn't know exactly when the downturn was coming for Tom Brady, Bill Belichick is somewhere in 2018. He's years ahead of us. So he didn't know exactly that it was coming in 2020, but he knows that Brady is going to eventually decline. He's 43 years old. And being the genius, the Warren Buffett, if you will, he said, look, I've gotten great returns for 20 years. It's been unbelievable. It's been better than great. I'm going to get out here. I can see the situation, the scenario where the market's going to go down and I'm going to lose everything that I had and I'm not going to have my future set up. So Belichick, he saw this coming and he said, I'd rather get out earlier than late. He tried to get out even earlier than this. He knows he's going to have to rebuild the program. He knows he's going to have to rebuild the market in New England. Why put it off? Why wait? Why risk having a bad ending? So he pulled it out. He's putting his team into, into liquid cash or low-risk treasury bonds. In a large way, Belichick did the right thing here. But let's shift to Tom, Tom Brady. Tom sold his New England stock at the right time, too. He knows that the Patriots are not the blue-chip stock that they used to be. Ironically enough, I see the Patriots as GE, General Electric, and I say ironically because 
GE is headquartered in none other than Boston, Massachusetts, and the parallels here are crazy. GE was worth $50 a share, over $50 a share in 2000. Why is that interesting? Because that's the first year that Tom Brady won the Super Bowl, and his stock would never have been higher because he was a commodity that would win six Super Bowls. So if you got in at that time, it was the right time to get in. With the Patriots, with the defense, with Bill Belichick. The Patriots were GE. It was all good. GE, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 company at one point. But as we fast forward to now, GE is worth $6 a share. They're worth peanuts compared to what they used to be. Their business model is struggling. They're having a hard time. A company that was once involved in everything in the American economy, they just couldn't keep up. And that's what I see the Patriots being. The Patriots were the everything of the NFL economy. They had the defense. They had Brady. They had the genius coach. But the model seems a little bit stale. Seems like they haven't quite adapted just right. They don't have the weapons. Their defense was a bit overrated as time went on and they faced better competition. They just weren't going to get it done. And Tom Brady is this investor like somebody who's reaching their retirement saying, man, I need my money now. I can't afford a market crash. I can't afford to wait for GE or any stock to come back up. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take my money out and I'm going to take my ball. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to invest in something that's stable but with high upside. And that to me is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If Tom Brady is not as successful as we would like to see, there's no harm, no foul. We don't remember Joe Montana in Kansas City. We remember him with the 49ers. We don't remember Emmett Smith with the Cardinals. We remember him with the Cowboys. He's already has his six Super Bowls. No one's going to remember this if it goes poorly. But what they will remember is if Tom Brady takes the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the Super Bowl in Tampa. Tom Brady needs his money now. You ever see that commercial? It's my money and I need it now. He only has two more good working years left. And he couldn't afford to wait for the Patriots. He tried, but they didn't trade for Stephon Diggs. They didn't trade for DeAndre Hopkins. And I hesitated to say trade because that was just a fire sale. That was a giveaway. And we'll get to that in a minute. But Tom Brady needs his productivity now. And it's really a low risk investment for him to finish his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I like the Buccaneers better than I like the Patriots going forward. This to me is a win-win for both parties, although it's kind of an ugly divorce at the moment. It seems to make a lot of sense to me. Marv, there's a big difference in opinion of how well the Buccaneers will fare this season. I think that they're an upgrade for Tom Brady from the Patriots, but a lot of people feel that the Patriots, uh, excuse me, the Buccaneers are going to be an upgrade. And, and actually a good number of people believe that this is the disaster of Emmett Smith to the Cardinals and Joe Montana to the Chiefs and, you know, Michael Jordan to the Wizards. How will this season go for the Buccaneers? Well, I think the Buccaneers are going to be possibly a top three team in the NFC. Uh, people think, call the Joe Montana to Kansas City Chiefs um, movement a disaster. But if I remember quite frankly, Joe Montana took the Kansas City Chiefs to the AFC title game. And of course, unfortunately, they lost that year. But he took them that far. If Tom Brady takes the Buccaneers even to the playoffs, it's a major accomplishment for these Buccaneers. Buccaneers haven't been to the playoffs in, I believe, more than 
probably about a decade or so. They've been out of the playoffs for a very long time. I think last time they were in there was like 2007, if I'm not mistaken. So this team is hungry, or this city is hungry for a playoff contender. And I think Tom Brady joining the Buccaneers is going to it's going to uh bring that to the city. It's going to change the culture. The Bucks are known as perennial losers. Tom Brady's coming from a perennial winner for his whole career. He's been a winner for 20 seasons. Now he's coming to the Buccaneers who would not don't know how to win. And he's going to teach them how to win. And I think this is going to have a big impact on how the Buccaneers are run even after Tom Brady leaves. So I, I think this is very positive, and I like the direction the Buccaneers are heading. This is surprising to a lot of people that he chose Tampa, but you bring up a lot of good points. They do have the talent. They absolutely do. But they don't have the stability or the aura that we look up to like we do to the Patriots, the constant winning. This was a good team last year. Might I add, they had a very good defense, and that was with Jameis Winston throwing 30 interceptions. Imagine just getting off the field or just getting done from work in your situation, maybe at home with whatever you do, and then somebody calls you back into work two minutes later. That would get old very quickly. So their defense is going to be elevated. Their offense is chocked full of weapons. I'm kind of missing why people don't think that this is a home run. Now, Marv, I push back on you saying, eh, I don't think about Tampa as Tom Brady because South Florida, not a big fan base, doesn't really align with Tom Brady's brand. I don't know what Giselle would think of it. But Tom Brady showed us what he's all about, and that is football. And this makes a lot of football sense. So kudos to you. You nailed it. Give me a prediction of what their record might be and how far they might go. I'm thinking a realistic record for the Buccaneers could be 11 and 5, 10 and 6. Just taking a quick glance at their schedule, they play the AFC West and uh I believe they play another division. I didn't quite see who else they were playing, but based on what I saw, Looks to be that they can win up to 10 games. I mean, the Carolina Panthers are in their division, and so are the Falcons. We don't know what team we're going to get out of Atlanta. And Carolina, we don't know yet what they're going to be. So the real competition for the Buccaneers is going to be the Saints. And I think it's going to come down to those two matchups versus the Saints for the division. I think the Buccaneers have the edge only because I look at all the weapons the Buccaneers possess and Tom Brady elevates his tight ends uh, play. And he has two pretty decent tight ends in Tampa and Cameron Brait and OJ Howard. So I like the possibilities they have. Tom Brady's also, a lot of people say Tom Brady doesn't have a deep ball. Well, Tom Brady has led the NFL in, um, in completion rate rating in the last five seasons uh, on passes 15 to 20 yards. A lot of people don't know that, but if they looked that up, he's the leader in that. That tells me that Tom Brady can at least throw medium to deep passes, and he has the two superstar receivers to to make up for it. So I, I like the prospects of them winning 10 to 11 games this season. Brady doesn't throw the deep ball. So the, for those who say that, they don't watch the game or they don't watch it closely. That's an excellent observation, as well as the tight ends. Tom Brady is heavily reliant on tight ends. He has been his entire career. That's what he's comfortable with. And he is with two excellent tight ends. Going to their schedule, I like your prediction. I'm a little bit more hesitant to say 11. I'd probably say 10. They have to face Green Bay, although that is a home game. They face Kansas City. That's also a home game. The division, when we look at the division, Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater, that doesn't scare me. I think they can split with Breeze and the Saints. I think Breeze is probably older in body and play than Tom Brady. Uh, the Falcons, never know what you're going to get from them. Matt Ryan seems to be continually regressing since Kyle Shanahan's left. And Kyle Shanahan really elevates quarterback play. He had one good MVP season, and now he's back to being an average to a below average quarterback in my eyes because – he gets big stats, but a lot of the, that is is garbage time. 
I want to flip to the other side of this deal, Marv. Talked about the Patriots and Bill Belichick in the future. Where do the Patriots go now from here? They've had 20 years of Tom Brady, and all of a sudden, he's gone. I think the Patriots are going to stick with what they have. Um, at least my gut feeling tells me they're going to go ahead and play with uh, Jared Stidham. Uh, he's shown flashes that he can play. The guy has a big arm. Uh, they still have Josh McDaniels, that offensive coordinator. I mean, the guy's made Kyle Orton. Uh, who else is there? He's made some other guys look really good. Brian Oyer, who was the guy who played for, came from USC, uh, who got the $66 million contract. That was um Matt Castle. Matt Castle. He made Matt Castle, who never started a college game in his life, a $66 million man. So I like the prospects of him playing with Stidham. Uh, they're probably going to stick to that. The Patriots have lately been cap-strapped, so I don't see them going out. If they do sign a veteran quarterback, it's going to be someone, you know, pretty cheap. So they're not going to go and break the bank. And they're going to probably just wait and see what Stidham offers them this year. If he struggles and doesn't do anything, then they just go into next year's draft and take a guy. Or if they really love a guy in this draft, who knows? Maybe they'll draft him. But I don't, I don't see any guys that fits the Patriot mold other than Jordan Love in this draft. So I think the Patriots are just going to stick with Stidham and we're going to see what happens. I mean, I, I've, I've never, I never doubt Bill Belichick nor Josh McDaniels because those two guys are excellent coaches. So we're going to see what happens with the Patriots in the, in the upcoming season. Marv, you're thinking a step ahead of me today. We're on the same page. I like Jordan Love for them in this draft, but I don't think that's going to happen. Number one, they're not going to be that aggressive, and you're going to have to be aggressive to get Jordan Love. I do believe he's going to be a top 10 pick. But here's where I see the Patriots going, and I mentioned this before several months ago. If Brady were to leave, which he did, the Patriots, with Bill Belichick's genius, are going to tank. Next year is one of the best prospects uh, available for quarterbacks. In Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, people are very high on them. I'm very high on Trevor Lawrence, not so much on Justin Fields. I just have to see more from him. I'm not cautious or or low on him. I'm just concerned. I've seen some bad reads in the game against Clemson. He, it was really just a one-read pick to end the game. But quarterbacks develop in college. They get better, so he has time. It's going to be his uh, junior season, and we'll see what he has. But the Patriots, Bill Belichick being the genius that's two years ahead of everyone else, I think he's looking at a tank job here, playing Jared Stidham. He is the favorite to start. Why trade for Andy Dalton and pay him a bunch of money? Tom Brady's taking up 13 mil in cap this year, even though he's not on the team. We're going to look at the Patriots saving money and getting younger for the time being and and building it up because we know they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. Bill Belichick is sacrificing the short term for the long term. And I don't think that that's a bad play. Let's get into quarter number two as we talk a little bit of Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. I told you last week, Dak Prescott was getting the franchise tag. The Cowboys offered him. 105 million guaranteed in 33 a year, 33 million, and they upped their offer to make him the highest paid quarterback. They couldn't get a deal done, so now he's playing on the tag. He will get 32 million this year. It's all guaranteed, but it's only guaranteed for the season. The interesting part of these negotiations going forward is not what directly happened with Dak Prescott, but what else happened this week. And that was Amari Cooper got his deal done. Amari Cooper will be paid $100 million over the length of his contract. He'll be guaranteed $60 million. He'll be making an average of 20 a year over the first three years. After that deal was done, some news happened to get out. And that news was that Amari Cooper took less money to play for the Dallas Cowboys. He was offered more money to play elsewhere. It was the Redskins, or so it was reported. But that's not important here. What is important is, why would this news get out? 
Who would have wanted this news to get out? And the why and the who is the Dallas Cowboys. They would be interested in this news getting out. And it sure seems that they were sending a message to Dak Prescott. And that message to me is loud and clear. You have to read between the lines, but to me, it is loud and clear. People want to play in Dallas for, for less money. Like your boy Amari Cooper. And by the way, we built all the infrastructure here. We've paid the guys that we want to keep around. We're, we're kind of out of money here to pay you this big, massive $40 million contract that you're asking for. So we built all the infrastructure for you to stay here. There's no state tax in Dallas. You get your $10 million in endorsements by being the quarterback of America's team. Good luck getting those if you're going to go play in Jacksonville. It's not going to work out for you, bud. But we built the infrastructure for you to stay here. And if you play well, which we've set you up to succeed, by having guys around you, like Amari Cooper, we'll revisit that contract. We'll see what happens. But since you know you want to get paid this big money, this $40 million a year contract like you're asking for, since you want that, you must be willing and able to put up a lot of points. In order to make cap room for your potential deal and for your buddy Amari Cooper, we got to let Robert Quinn go, our leading sack guy. We got to let Byron Jones go, our best cornerback, to make all this work. So here you go. Go ahead and prove it to us. You're going to have to put up a lot of points because our defense isn't going to be what it was last year. And we were only 8-8 eight and eight then. But make no mistake, the infrastructure is still there. We have defensive stars. We have offensive stars. We can do without you, bud. That's what I've been saying this whole time. Jerry Jones says, yeah, we'd like to have you, but it's got to be at a team-friendly deal. That's a minimum of what Jerry's saying here, folks. That's the minimum of what he's saying. I'm not so sure he's not saying, we got everybody else and we can't afford to pay you. So you're going to have to force my hand to sign you or else we are going to move on. Because we just can't afford to pay Somebody who's going to make us 8-8 eight and eight, spending all this money all around the team, all around the franchise. It's just not going to work that way. So this is your year to prove it. For the DAC side, I've been adamant DAC is not worth the money. I wrote an article as well on Medium, and I've talked about it on the show. Cowboys can't afford to pay DAC. That's my opinion as somebody running the team. But from the DAC Prescott side of things, I root for the players. He's overperformed his contract. I want him to get paid. I want him to make his money. I don't root for anyone to not get their money. I want you all listening to get your money. I want everybody to get their money. I want to get my money. But I can't help but wonder, as it had been reported, I didn't want to speculate because I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. But now that it's been out there and somebody in the know, I'll, I'll leave their name out, said it. They're wondering, and I'm wondering, now along with them, is Dak Prescott's agent and his own personal interests in the way of getting this deal done? Because I don't think most people disagree with the idea that Dak's worth 25 to 30 million per year on a long-term deal. He's good, but he's not great. That's his market value. But his agent's demanding 40, getting paid the most, on average, is not enough for him. And you got to wonder where his interests are. If he doesn't get the perfect deal or if he doesn't get the best deal, if not a lot of it's guaranteed, if it's that funny money that I was talking about, yeah, well, it's the highest average, but you know, most of the contract isn't guaranteed at the end. If he gets outperformed by Kirk Cousins' agent or by Jared Goff's agent or by Carson Wentz's agent, that's not going to look good for him. That's not going to look good for recruiting clients. So on the other side of the deal, Dak Prescott, got to start watching out for your own interests. You better look at this a little bit different next time around because the Cowboys have made their message loud and clear. And I'm not so sure your agent is watching your back. 
Marvin, our last segment, you are quite the predictor of the future. You nailed the Tom Brady leaving, and not only leaving, to Tampa. So I look at you as our Nostradamus of the week, Nostramarvis. You called Brady to the Bucks. <laughs> now I want you to look into your crystal ball again and tell us, how will the Cowboys fare this next season, and how will that affect Dak's contract going forward as he is playing on the franchise tag this year? I'm honestly, you know, as I've mentioned in the past, I'm not high on Dak Prescott. I honestly think the Cowboys are going to struggle again this season. Um, they, I mean, they're keeping the same pieces, which is great, but they haven't done anything to upgrade the team. And that alone is, is a little alarming for me because, yeah, they're paying all their guys to retain them and they franchise Dak. But where's this gonna, they're not gonna have any cap room to make the team better. All they're gonna be able to do is add players to the draft and Dak Prescott right now is on the franchise tag. So in order for the Cowboys to get better, Dak's gonna have to stop being selfish and negotiate a team friendly deal. I mean, think about it. If he takes $40 million and then you got Omari Cooper making $20 million, that's $60 million invested in a quarterback and a wide receiver, and you're already paying your running back top dollar, and you got a lot of good offensive linemen who are getting paid top dollar. What about the rest of the team? You know, it's it's 11 guys on defense and 11 guys on offense. Plus, you got the, you know, the backups and, and depth. You need all those guys to play well for you to win games. I see other teams in the NFC getting better as we mentioned earlier in segments, Tampa Bay and other teams who are rising. Cowboys need to catch up. They need to wake up. Dak Prescott needs to stop being selfish and, you know, negotiate with the Cowboys and get a, a great deal, but a deal that helps his team enough to where they can get better and add more pieces to the puzzle. That way they're a complete team and they can win games. Right now, as it stands, I think the Cowboys are an 8-8 eight eight team right now. That's the best I can give them. Uh, unless they add a, a player that makes a big impact, I don't see them being more than a mediocre team again. Yeah, here's the deal. He makes, on estimate, a fair estimate, $10 million per year on endorsements, Campbell's Chunky Soup, and whatever. I can't remember the rest of his... Uh, endorsement deals, but he gets those deals because he is the face of the franchise, NFL's team, America's team in Dallas. So that gives me negotiation leverage if I'm Jerry Jones. You've brought up the point that if there are $40 million put into Dak Prescott, $20 million into Amari Cooper, and let's not forget they're paying Demarcus Lawrence, big money. They're paying Jalen Smith big money early. Both of those guys got their contracts early. And because of the cap situation, Jerry's not stingy, but they had to let go of Robert Quinn, their best pass rusher in sacks last year, and their best corner in Byron Jones. So this is going to require Dak to put up a lot of points. And don't forget, they also paid Zeke Elliott early. So this is a lot of cap being taken up. Marv, I brought up that his agent, I think his agent is doing him wrong. I'm not going to say who said this, but they mentioned that his agent is perhaps not looking out for his best interest, his being Dax, and looking out for his own interest. I found that pretty interesting. I felt that way previously because this just all doesn't add up because he can take $25 million and still be making $35 million after the endorsements. And Dax doesn't strike me as a greedy guy. Am I going too far to question the intentions of the agent here? No, you aren't. And uh, a lot of agents in the past have been known to be, you know, in the interest of, for themselves and not their uh, their clients. And I think that's where, you know, it ruins the relationship of the players and their uh, owners because then if the player is being misrepresented by their agent, you know, paints a bad picture, and then that, that starts, you know, to deteriorate the relationship 
of the player and the owner, and then they're going to trust each other. And before you know it, that star player gets traded, and then boom, he's gone, and then it looks bad. And I think uh, you 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 hit it right on you know on the on the head. Um, that agent is is you know doing that wrong, pretty much. That's how, that's what I think. Do you think? Last question on this segment. Do you think that they'll get a deal done during the season, or will they make him? "Quote unquote audition for the entire season to see how it turns out. The way things are going, I think they're going to keep him on the on the franchise tag. Uh, Dak really doesn't have any other options. Um, I don't think there's any teams right now desperate for a quarterback uh, because all the quarterback positions are currently almost being filled up." And no one's willing to pay Dak Prescott the money he's asking. The only team that's willing to pay him north of $30 million is the Dallas Cowboys. And if he doesn't accept the contract they're offering him, or at least negotiate to the point where he gets something that's, you know, in the middle, middle ground, then I think they're just going to say, you know what? We're going to make you prove it to us again and see if you can win games. If you can win games for us, get us to the playoffs, then you earn that contract. So I think Dak right now is, you know, walking on a thin line. And if he can get it now, get it. But if not, Jerry's going to pull that off and he's going to tell him to prove it to him. He and his agent are missing the boat here because you brought up all the quarterbacks signing. If we're in a game of musical chairs, there's going to be a quarterback like Jameis Winston, very capable starter with high potential. Or Andy Dalton, also a very capable quarterback to start in this league. They're not going to have a team and they're going to be a backup because there is an abundance of quarterbacks available right now. And this is unlike anything that we've ever seen before in the NFL. That's why the market for quarterbacks was such that if you were the next quarterback up, you got paid because there used to be a scarcity. And by getting paid, I mean you got paid as the highest in the position group because there was such a scarcity. Right now, the way that the league is going, the way that the rules are set up with all the bright offensive minds as coordinators, this is an offensive league. It's a fireworks show. There's a lot of quarterbacks that can do this. There are a lot of quarterbacks in camp since they're in sixth grade. They're very capable people out there doing this where there weren't a lot of them before. And Dak and his agent, whether it's one or both of them, are missing this. Like I said, I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. He's not my franchise quarterback anyways, I, I, but I don't root against him. I want him to get paid because he's earned it and he's been underpaid for what he's done so far, but they're missing the boat and it's kind of sad to watch. Let's get into our third quarter and talk about the DeAndre Hopkins trade. I'm three for three so far on this show. When it comes to predictions and seeing the future in past episodes, I might just name this show where Jonathan was right. Winning. No, but seriously. I said Bill O'Brien had to go. I had said he had to go during the season. I said he had to go at the end of the season. Bill O'Brien, the head coach and general manager of the Houston Texans, is severely mismanaging this team. They are underperforming. He is not doing the right thing as the coach. I said Bill O'Brien, the coach, was the problem, not Bill O'Brien, the general manager. The DeAndre Hopkins trade, where Bill O'Brien sent the best wide receiver, I'd argue, easily a top three wide receiver, to the Arizona Cardinals, in return for an overpriced $17 million a year running back who's injured and doesn't even play anymore, and a second-round pick, it makes my head hurt. But you might be listening and thinking, Jonathan, the GM makes these decisions, so now Bill O'Brien is the problem as the GM. And that's not exactly it. Bill O'Brien, the coach, had a personal bone to pick with DeAndre Hopkins. Bill O'Brien, the coach, 
did not get along with DeAndre Hopkins. Michael Irving reported that he made a joke or compared him to Aaron Hernandez and that he had a problem with his quote-unquote baby mamas. It was a personal thing. And that's something that he experienced as the coach. And it clouded his management skills as the general manager. That's why you have these two things, these two positions separated. I look at our government in the United States. There are three co-equal branches. The legislature, the executive, the president, and the judicial, the courts. While the NFL business structure isn't exactly co-equal, it has three important arms of management. The owner who writes the checks, the general manager who manages personnel, and the coach who oversees things on the field. And these three have different functions and they oversee each other. And while they're not co-equal, they provide a sorts of checks and balances to each other so that three minds collaborating, usually you get it right or hopefully you get it right because you have different powers. The coach oversees on the field. The general manager makes hopefully impartial decisions and the owner, the owner does what he needs to do to defer to the experts, but also have his opinion. It's his business. He's ultimately the CEO, the final say, the guy who uh, cuts the checks. So the problem here is the structure. Bill O'Brien has been given too much power. His general manager duties interfered with his coaching duties and vice versa. He was willing to let a player go who's worth significantly more than what they got, a second round pick and to me a useless running back, because he didn't like the guy. For a standard operation protocol here, Odell Beckham got a first and a third round pick. Brandon Cooks got a first round pick twice because he was traded twice. Stephon Diggs was just traded, not as good as DeAndre Hopkins. Got a first round pick and another handful of picks. This trade is so bad that NFL owners, the rest of the NFL owners, were upset that they didn't get a call before this went through. Some of them want it vetoed. You have to do better for this Texans team because they have a franchise quarterback. They have Deshaun Watson. I like him a lot. A lot of people throughout the league like him a lot. But you're at risk of putting him in the position of Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning, guys who underachieved, at least for the franchise, in terms of delivering winning, delivering Super Bowls at the end of the day, because they didn't have what they needed around them. Peyton Manning didn't have a defense. Andrew Luck didn't have an offensive line, and it drove him into early retirement. Now you're taking away the franchise quarterback's weapons. A guy who needs to get the ball out quickly because he does have one problem, and that is he is often injured. And they don't want him improvising like he hasn't been in the past because it opens him up to being hit. Houston, for the fans, for the franchise, for the career of Deshaun Watson, you have to do better than this. I've said it once. I'll say it again. I don't take pleasure in saying somebody's got to go. Bill O'Brien, you signed your own certificate here, man. How can you give away the league's best receiver for a second-round pick and a running back you don't need? This was highly personal. Personal should never get in the way of business. This is a business. Bill O'Brien failed to operate it in such a manner. And for that, there has to be consequences and somebody has to answer for it. And I say that has to be Bill O'Brien. Marv, can you please, and I might be asking the impossible, but I'm asking nicely. Can you please make some sense of this DeAndre Hopkins trade from the Texans to the Arizona Cardinals for a, for a lack of better words, washed up running back who's very expensive in David Johnson and a second round draft pick. You know, I was hearing rumblings days before free agency began. Peter King put out a, a report that Texans were listening to offers for 
DeAndre Hopkins. And I was like, ah, no way. Peter King's crazy. He's just talking nonsense. You know, maybe he's quarantined and he's got nothing else to talk about. Well, fast forward to the opening of free agency uh, talking period. Boom. Right off the bat, blockbuster trade. DeAndre Hopkins traded to Arizona. Now, wait for it. What's the compensation? DJ and a second round pick, and they swapped fourth round picks. I was at my jaw dropped to the ground. I was like, are you kidding me? This can't be real life. Like, I thought DeAndre Hopkins had failed a drug test or he did something such so bad that he dropped his uh his value and trade value. I was like, there's no way he got traded for scraps in the second round pick. But then I thought about it. And I started seeing some other reports pop up. And I hear he, you know, he's had some issues with Bill O'Brien. Even Michael Irvin went on his podcast and threw Bill O'Brien under the bus severely, which then DeAndre Hopkins came out and said that was blown out of proportion. So I'm going to believe DeAndre Hopkins because, of course, DeAndre Hopkins is not going to want his business out there and make his old boss look like a bad guy, which in truth he is. But as we've called this for his head multiple times in the past, how does Bill O'Brien have a job? And I'm I'm still in shock. Um, this whole trade never made sense, but I think it's really, he's, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is a top wide receiver in the NFL. Top wide receivers with diva-like, uh, how I say, attitude, love getting the ball. They love attention. Bill O'Brien is the offensive coordinator from, I'm going to say, he makes the play calls and he's the head coach and the GM on the team. So, I'm sure they butted the head multiple times. I've watched some games with, you know, DeAndre Hopkins comes back to the sideline and he's mouthing off at Bill O'Brien and Bill O'Brien says something back to him and they just move on. I think there was many instances where they bumped heads and they didn't agree on certain play calls and DeAndre wanted the ball. And I think there was a point where O'Brien just couldn't take anymore and he reacted. He just traded him for whatever he can get. And I think that's what he did. And that's the only thing I can really think of that makes the most sense. He just reacted. He didn't think about it. He didn't care. He said, let me get whatever I can get for him and let's move on. And I think that's what happened there. He just, I don't know. They, they probably didn't agree on the, the, um, the future, the way the future of the, uh, the Texans was heading. I just don't know what's going on. Uh, but Bill O'Brien, if the Texans fail to win many games this year, Bill O'Brien needs to get fired. And that's that's the bottom line. Simple as that. The point that you bring up brings to the relevance of the three, let's not call them co-equal branches of NFL management, but three branches that balance each other out. The owner, the general manager, and the coach. And while I see to your point that they could have wanted to trade him because they didn't see eye to eye, they butted heads, Hopkins wanted an extension on his contract, he was kind of a diva. I understand all that. But a coach that's upset, that kicks it up to the GM and says, get rid of this guy, the GM will go out and get fair market value. And Bill O'Brien's emotions and disdain for DeAndre Hopkins clouded his judgment. And he got far less than he could have gotten for him because there's three years of team control left. He might be unhappy, but give him a little bit of a raise. No big deal. Somebody will be able to figure that out. Arizona will be able to figure that out. And you have the precedent of top receivers who I argue aren't as good as he is, except for maybe OBJ, all got first round draft picks. In return for them, I don't think of Stefan Diggs nearly at the level of DeAndre Hopkins. I, I think of him at a tier two level, a very high tier two level, but DeAndre Hopkins is the very top of tier one. And so it just makes my head hurt to think that they could execute a trade like this and that the owner would let this go through. He must have been sleeping on the job. I have no idea what he was thinking. I'm going to hedge a little bit and say this, Marv. 
maybe there's something that we don't know. Maybe he is a bigger problem than we know about. And these internal things are impossible to know unless you're a general manager in the league. To that point, the general managers all called the commissioner's office. I shouldn't say the general managers. I should say the teams. So maybe it was the general manager. Maybe it was the owner, whatever. Said, how can you let this happen? We need somebody to review trades because this is such a bad trade. It's bad for the league. It reminds me of the veto of Chris Paul being traded to the Lakers, which caused a lot of controversy. That's the level of trade that this is at. And I, I would argue it's far worse. I think the Chris Paul trade should have went through. I, I, I'm just out of words. We'll wait for some new news perhaps there. But as it stands, I had never heard of Hopkins being an issue. But then again, we had never heard of Aaron Hernandez being an issue either. So I do not mean to compare the two. I'm, I'm just saying it's possible that there's something negative going on that we don't know about. But I'm not going to assume and I'm not going to say that there is because there's no proof of it. So DeAndre Hopkins, what a steal for the Cardinals. Let's get into our fourth quarter, our quick hitters, more accurately renamed for this week, our quarterback carousel as we visit the happenings in free agency at the quarterback position. Marv, a lot of movement at the position this year. This year is unlike any other. It's been exciting and interesting. Let's go around the quarterback carousel. The Bears traded a fourth-round pick to acquire Nick Foles. This has caused a lot of head-scratching around the league. What do you think of this trade? I think it's a pretty good trade. Um, The Bears... Get a guy who can come in and compete with Mitchell Trubisky. And ultimately, he's going to end up starting because, of course, as we all know, Mitchell Trubisky is not a very good quarterback. Nick Foles is a a really good quarterback when it comes to uh, playoffs. So let's put it like this. He he just does enough during the season to get the team to the playoffs. Once they get to the playoffs, he turns it on. And I think the Bears' defense is so great that I think they have enough to make the playoffs this year if Nick Foles starts the season as a starter. So I like the trade for a fourth-round compensatory pick. That's not bad. The Bears' defense is just ridiculous. They have Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks up the middle. They have Robert Quinn, who they just signed, rushing on the edge opposite of Khalil Mack. That team is a wrecking crew up front. Roquan Smith was a great draft pick last year. If Danny Trevathan can stay healthy, he's a nice linebacker. And then on the back end, pro baller Eddie Jackson and Kyle Fuller, a lockdown corner. This defense is insane. All they need is 13, 14 points a game at times to win it. And Trubisky couldn't do that. And Nick Foles can. Might I add that I was calling for this or uh, lobbying for this for the Bears because I thought it made sense because you have a quarterback who's done well in this offense. I always like to make the comparison uh, for salespeople. If you're selling a keyboard, uh, like a typewriter, or you're selling a Motorola Razor in the era of smartphones, good luck to you. And that's kind of what Nick Foles is to me in a different offense that is not this uh, Matt Nagy, Doug Peterson, Andy Reid offense. He's succeeded and flourished in it and outside of it. He hasn't done well. This was a move for familiarity. When they won the Super Bowl and he was MVP, his quarterback coach was John DiFilippo. Guess who his quarterback coach is in Chicago? It's John DiFilippo. This is a good move. You could certainly argue that Cam Newton was a better fit here uh, because of the higher upside. But I'm not so sure that Nick Foles isn't the better move when it's all said and done. Marv, speaking of Cam Newton. He is now seeking a trade, might be released. The Bears are out on him. The Chargers, you reported, are out on him. Looks like he's going to be released. Speculation, the Patriots. Where is he going to go? That's a very good question. Um, I've been hearing the two teams that have requested medicals on him have been the Patriots and the Redskins. Um, I don't know who else outside of those two teams are really looking hard at him. Uh, but if you put a put a gun to my my head uh, and say who do who do I choose? 
I would say the Redskins have a better chance of trading for Cam Newton only because we all know how Dan Snyder is. He likes to sell tickets and he knows if he can get a healthy Cam Newton that would sell tickets and possibly put him in good graces with his fans because a lot of people are still not high on Haskins in the way he finished the season. So I feel the Redskins might be a good landing spot for him, but who knows? Maybe a dark horse may pop out of nowhere, like a Vegas or or Miami, per se, and take a chance on him. But for now, his uh suitors are it's a really short list of who's, you know, looking at Cam Newton right now. Marv, I actually really love that Miami idea. I had never thought of it. I think that's a really good fit if they are looking at winning now and the division is wide open. Miami is a good city for Cam. I'm going to give you full credit for that one. You should predict that because that's great. The problem that I have with (laughs) the two teams that you mentioned, the Patriots, I think of the Patriot way. Does Cam Newton fit the Patriot way? Is he a studious quarterback that is quiet and says whatever the team asks him to? No, absolutely not. I also think of the Redskins and I think of Ron Rivera and people remember the good times. That's how our minds are wired evolutionary. Uh, to remember the good times and block out the bad times. It's a protection uh, measure. And people remember the good times and going to the Super Bowl. I remember Ron Rivera thinking of Cam Newton as a headache. And he didn't exactly say that because he was very uh, politically correct in the situations. Correct me if I'm wrong, Marv. Was his militaristic kind of in-line, in-order style of Ron Rivera kind of at odds with Cam Newton, wasn't it? No, you're right. It was, and you could see it that Cam Newton is more like a free spirit. Doesn't yeah, that's abide by all the it. rules. And, you know, Ron Rivera is more, like you said, he's, you know, he walks a straight line. He don't, what he says goes, basically. So, no, you're right. I didn't think about it that way. Forgot all about Ron Rivera. And so, who knows? Maybe he wouldn't want to bring Newton up, up aboard. But really, at the end of the day, Dan Snyder's the owner, so who knows you know, what the Redskins are thinking to do. <laughs> I know, right? You have Dan Snyder and anything can happen. All bets are off. But people have been mentioning that, the Redskins connection, because they, the two do have a connection. Ron Rivera from a military family, very strict. Cam Newton, as you said it eloquently, a free spirit. The pairing doesn't make sense. So, Marv, I'm going to give you, give you a moment. Do you want to predict that Cam Newton goes to Miami? You're on fire. Be careful. Um, I think if you think about it and look at all the teams around the league, Miami has Ryan Fitzpatrick at starting quarterback, right? He's 37 years old. I mean, he had fair share of success last year, but he was benched multiple times. Now, if Miami wants to at least compete for maybe the next year or two and draft a quarterback, I would predict Cam Newton would be the best fit for the Miami Dolphins if they signed him. Uh, he fits the Miami lifestyle. He's into all the, you know, the nightlife and the, and the, um, the outfits and uh, the, he's, he's always in style. That's the Miami feeling. You know, that's how people in Miami are. He fits right in. So that's what, that's the only reason why I thought about Miami. Miami flirted with the idea of Tom Brady, but why not Cam? I mean, so, I'll predict if uh, push comes to shove, I think Cam Newton could land with the Miami Dolphins. Medea goes to Miami. If you get it, you get it. (laughs) The way he dresses. (laughs) What about Jameis Winston? Where is he going to end up? That's a really tough one. See, I was looking around the league. I was trying to think of a team. I mean, Jameis still has a, he's still young. I think he's like 25. Um, he still has a long way to go. I think this season, Jameis should take the Ryan Tannehill route, like a lot of people were saying. You know, go on a team that already has an established starter, or at least a fringe starter, and just sit down, learn the offense, try to learn from his mistakes, soak it in, and when his number is called, go out and perform. Um, I can't really think. I haven't seen anyone that's linked to him yet. Um, 
I would have said the Las Vegas Raiders, but they signed Marcus Mariota. So I don't I don't see that as a fit. Chargers already mentioned they're not going to sign any veterans. Um, so they're going to go the draft route. So I couldn't think off the top of my head. One team I heard floated out there was the New England Patriots that may take a flyer on him only because he's a traditional drop-back quarterback. But, of course, you know, Bill Belichick and turnovers don't mix. Um, Really, there's not many teams out there. I mean, could be a team like a New Orleans Saints, but they since they lost Teddy Bridgewater, maybe they could yeah, take a flyer have, on them, sit them on the bench. They have Taysom Hill. I, that was one I was thinking of, too. They have Taysom Hill, and that's who they're invested in. This is a really hard one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's really tough. Just like naming teams off the top of my head, and I really can't, you know, fit him anywhere. So, I mean, I guess whoever offers him money to be a, a backup, I think he should just take that opportunity and learn and redeem himself when he gets the opportunity again. So that one I can't really predict right now. That one's a really, really tough one. <laughs> Yeah, it really puts you on the spot. That one's nearly impossible. This is a guy who is asking for $30 million from the Buccaneers. And my idea was that he was going to be the individual that I mentioned earlier when they were playing musical chairs. He, the music stops. He's got nowhere to go. And, and I really do think he has nowhere to go. He's going to have to take $15 million somewhere or less and just mm-hmm. sit there and hope he gets the opportunity and hope he can earn some more money. And I think it'll be good for him. This is. A, an individual who could benefit from the learning experience, as you mentioned, because he's been the top dog his whole life. His ego kind of precedes him. And he could use to learn a little bit because he has tons of talent. I've never questioned that. I've questioned his decision-making on and off the field. On the field's mm-hmm. obvious, but the off-the-field issues have been a huge problem. Marv. And you know what? Oh, oh go ahead. Uh, I was going to say one team that just popped into my, my head, we were just talking about, he was the ex-quarterback for them, Nick Foles being traded. That did open up a backup quarterback position in Jacksonville. Now, I going can see home. him going to Jacksonville and um, sit behind Minshew. If Minshew struggles, there's the opportunity. I can see that happen. They don't have a backup quarterback right now. And I think that would be a great fit for him. He'd be close to Tallahassee. I mean, he'll still stay in the state of Florida. And he can sit down and and, and get better. And if he if Minshew screws up or messes up, then he get his chance to shine. I think that that's the I think that's the only team I can really think like he could go and you know get an opportunity in the near future if Minshew, of course, doesn't recapture his magic. <laughs> yeah, Minshew mania. I saw a meme out there that said Gardner Minshew met coronavirus and coronavirus had to go into two week quarantine. So. In your face, coronavirus. <laughs> I do love Gardner, though. <laughs> I love that guy. On to the next. Philip Rivers is headed to the Colts. What do you make of this move? Very short term, one year, $25 million. I like it. I think it's a really safe move by the Colts. Uh, they're taking a flyer on Philip. Phillips, what, 38 years old. He still wants to play. He's, you know, they they're, they pretty much paid him on one of those contracts where they say, you know, show us that you still got it. And I'm sure the Colts are going to still get a young guy later in the draft to develop. And if Phillips struggles, they could just move on from him. So I like it's a, it's a really low-risk, high-reward type of deal. Uh, Phillips is a gamer. I love Phillips' fire. Uh, the Colts are a really talented team. So hopefully with uh, Frank Reich running the ship, you know they should be a pretty good team this year. They seem to be all in right now. Rivers will be far better. He'll have a great offensive line in Indy. So that's a huge plus. We forget when we criticize Rivers for throwing all those picks, he was under a huge amount of duress. But Marv, they also traded their first-round pick, their 13th overall pick for stud defensive tackle DeForest Buckner from San Francisco. That's very expensive to give him a huge contract and trade your 
cheap labor, your first round cheap labor for expensive labor. They seem to be going all in for a Super Bowl here, you think? You seem to like this. You told me you like this better than I do. So help me make sense of this. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a smart move. Um, if you look at the draft, there isn't really any nose tackle or def- stud defensive tackle. The best player I saw was uh, Kinlaw, and Kinlaw stole a raw prospect. And that's he's normally good. He's normally in most mock drafts, falling around the Colts pick, no later than the Broncos pick. So he's he's mocked to go in the top fifteen. He's just a raw prospect, and Buckner's a proven guy. I mean, yeah, he's going to cost you, but the Colts are in it to win it. Their uh, their defense is really underrated. They're great. Their linebackers are fast. They're always getting to the ball. Their secondary is legit. Um, I like what they're doing. They've been built. They've been building that team really well. Last year, they were a disappointment because they had high expectations after Andrew Luck um, retired. The Colts started uh, came out of the gates guns blazing. I think at one point they were like five and two or six and one. I mean they finished horribly, but I mean they started off really good because their defense was playing lights out. Their offense was doing just enough to win games. But I think with Phillip Rivers, that adds a, another dimension to their offense because he's a pretty accurate guy and he could throw the long ball when he needs to. I think he's a he's a he leads by example. He's one of those guys that likes to bark a lot. And that, that hypes up a lot of guys. Jacoby Brissett, he wasn't he was a quiet guy. If you if you watch Jacoby Brissett, he was always quiet. You didn't see him say much. He just played. Phillip Rivers hypes up his teammates. He's out there. If he throws a big play, he's out there jumping with his teammates. He he you know he's an old guy. He has a young soul. So I like I like the the Forrest Buckner trade and the Phillip Rivers signing. These are win now, uh pickups and trades uh the colts possibly weren't i mean they were mocked to either get ken law or a quarterback but they don't they're not ready to wait they have the team to win now and that's time is now um i i really liked it like i said i I didn't see anybody in the draft that would fit their needs right now so that's that was a great trade that's a fair point i was just big into the colts youth movement but now they signed an old quarterback. I just thought their com- combination of youth movement, old quarterback would be really well suited for the future. But look, they want to go all in right now. It might cause cap hell in the future by paying a defensive tackle so much, but that's okay. You take risks in life and this one might work out. It's between them and the Titans for the division. The Jags are in a sell-off and the Houston Texans just put themselves in hell by trading DeAndre Hopkins, and they got no first-round picks for the next two years. I mean, the Houston Texans are literally in hell. I find it hilarious that they swapped fourth-round picks with the Cardinals. They're going to be worse than the Cardinals. Uh, it just hurts my head. Cardinals will probably be about 8-8. Eight and eight. They might be in last place because their division is so good. But the, I look at Houston, I have a hard time seeing how they will be better than 6-10. and 10. Last but certainly not least, Marv. Teddy Bridgewater signs with the Panthers. This is not a guy who gets a lot of love. Are we overlooking this move a little bit? I mean, I like Teddy, but I don't see him as a difference maker. Teddy is a above average quarterback. He'll win some games for you, but I don't I don't think he's that guy to get you over the hump and when you play off games. Now, Teddy will win you some games during this regular season. He's a great regular season quarterback. Then, But I've never seen him perform in the playoffs. So I'm still on the fence on Teddy. I like Teddy. He's a winner. This guy's bounced back from terrible knee injury that he suffered that basically almost was career-threatening. So, I mean, I, I respect the guy, and, I, and I'm rooting for him. But I don't think he's better than what Cam Newton has been for the Panthers. and. Teddy is more of a pocket passer. He doesn't run a lot. So we're going to see how he fits the Matt Rule offense. Uh, well, really, it's going to be it's Matt Rule, and I forget the name of the guy they brought over from from LSU. So Joe Brady. that should help him elevate his game. A, there you go, Joe Brady. So that, that should help him elevate his game a bit. 
but I'm not. I don't think this is a home run. I think this is. It's a good play. It's a good move. Panthers will be at least competitive, but I don't think they'll be great. I couldn't exactly make a lot of sense of this one because to me, you want to be all in or all out. And what do I mean by that? You want to be trying to win a Super Bowl or you want to be trying to go for a high draft pick and and kind of rebuild and go young. But Teddy Bridgewater is young and he's serviceable. And what he does for the team and the new head coach who comes from the college ranks is he sets a culture saying that we are trying to win. We're at least trying to win. We're probably not going to win very much, but we're trying. And it brings an attitude that, yeah, they might go 6-10, and 10, but we're trying. And it, it just makes it so that with the new regime, we're not going to just ex- roll over and accept losing because that can be a poison that enters your building. So that's the way that I see that. I'm with you. I don't love the move. It doesn't really elevate you in any way uh, to the highest, you know, Super Bowl contender. But it makes them viable. It makes them competitive in every game that they play. Teddy Bridgewater is a smart decision maker with the football. He's got some weapons. Curtis Samuel's really fast at the receiver position, kind of a receiver running back hybrid. And maybe Christian McCaffrey, you've heard of him. He's pretty good. MVP level running back. It's hard to do at that position. He's doing it. We don't see him a lot on TV, but he's great. And so this makes them viable. That's all it does. And I think it's a pretty smart move. Not exactly what I would have done, but I don't disagree with it. That is the end of the show, folks. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you can find enjoyment for others and yourself in this time of uh, kind of frustration, being cooped up. We're all cooped up. It'll be all right. Hopefully, it'll be over sooner than later. But do your part. Stay inside. Keep people safe. Marv, that is the end of the show. Do you have anything else for the people? Thanks for all the love you guys are showing us. Keep giving us those five-star reviews. Um, Always remember, wash your hands. Always uh, practice social distancing. This will soon pass. I know we'll get through this, and we'll be able to see you know all the sports we love and enjoy after this all passes so just keep keep your head up and stay safe out there people that is our psa six feet away from everyone even your mom especially your mom because you know older people have a harder time with this also you know a lot of bored people please feel free to share the podcast and take a moment to rate us i know life is very busy but now's the time we'd appreciate your help we thank you very much for listening And we hope you have a great rest of your week. Stay safe, people. Later, people.